everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write all about all things outdoors and venture and fitness related, and I also now teach some yoga on the side. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a kinesiologist and uh, endurance coach. You can tell how late in the day we record by how quiet your voice is. Yeah. You're doing like an NPR... I was going for a softer look. I'm drinking some bone broth today. It's also not dissolving as per last week's beverage. <laughs> this seems to be a common theme that I pick things that don't dissolve very well. But uh, It was collagen last week, I so it's pretty it's similar. similar, I guess. Anyway, uh, today's episode, if you listened to last week's episode, you know our plan was to hike the La Cloche Silhouette Trail in Killarney Provincial Park, which is 80 kilometers of pretty gnarly trails. Uh, the plan was to speed hike it in two days. And this um, is in Ontario, Canada as yes, well. Yes, in Ontario. Uh, and last week we had Eric Batty on to talk a bit about camping and backpacking and sort of prep us for our our hike. So we set out into the wilderness on Thursday morning and I'm happy to report we are back in one piece. Uh, it was 34 hours in total out on the trail and about 22 and a half hours of hiking altogether. So we figured, you know, today we're going to sort of talk about what we learned from doing that as we are both pretty new hikers slash definitely new campers, I'd say, as far as like backcountry camping goes. Yeah, we've definitely done car camping and we have a little Ford Transit van that we've camped lots in. Um, you know, and sometimes that's been, I guess, remote, but you always have, we always joke, it's like our house. So, I mean, we basically have everything we need in it. Um, so it's definitely different when you're isolated and 40 kilometers out into the forest. And we were sort of realized last night, if the weather had changed violently, we might've been in a slight bit of trouble, but we did have to deal with rain. We started in rain, so we did have some inclement weather and also bugs. Would be. <laughs> we had inclement bugs. <laughs> will be the theme, I guess, of today, probably. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Uh, it turns out this is like sort of the height of mosquito season up here. Uh, I guess they all hatched, and I'd never seen mosquitoes like this. I'm used to New I, Jersey. I did, I did ask you several times if you were sure. I know, but I honestly, I've never... The only time I've seen bugs like this was once in the Everglades in Florida, where the mosquitoes were like as big as your like fist. Right. These ones were tiny, and I didn't think they were going to be that bad. And then all of a sudden, you know, I realized that my entire body is covered in bug bites, despite wearing long sleeves and long pants. Like, it's not that I was not prepared and was wearing shorts and sleeveless. I was fully covered. They just bite through tights, as it turns out. Did not know that. Yoga tights may not be Yeah, hiking, pro tip. <laughs> may not be hiking pants. I just, I didn't think hiking pants were, like, a necessity. That's why people wear them. Yeah, apparently. Uh, so Peter survived in his Lululemon pants. They were not tights. No, they were more similar to More like hiking, hiking pants. Pant. You say that so smugly. Like, you actually had thought of that before we left, and that was why you picked them, and you, like, warned me bunches of times that I should get hiking pants. He never warned me. No one warned me. No one told me. I suppose. So <laughs> to start, we'd like to give thanks and gratitude to the couple or few people who sort of helped us out with ideas. And that's, as we mentioned, Eric Batty. Um, and then there's also Chris Wood, who we met at a mountain biking coaches course. Um, and so I talked to him most of the course about camping and Clarney and yeah, what he knew. So that big, was very... Big shout out to him for warning us about the bugs, because if we hadn't talked to him, I don't think we would have gotten the bug nets for our faces. Yeah, we might have not clued in. But then also Mark uh, from Joyride, um, 150 Bike Park in Markham, Ontario, which is a place you should visit for sure. Uh, we've mentioned a few times he has done the hike. He does it almost annually, if not more frequently when he can. Um, so I definitely got on the phone with him and he, he was also slightly concerned about the bugs and why you would go in May, but, um, yeah, yeah. so those, those folks helped out a lot. So the bigger question is why would you go in and hike so quickly? Yeah. So, I mean, in addition to the fact that there were a crap load of bugs and even when we tried to slow things down and stop, we couldn't because we were getting eaten alive. 
uh, we had already planned to speed hike this. And there are a couple of reasons for that that we kind of wanted to talk about before we get into it, because, you know, we know that there are a lot of people that are like, oh, well, why didn't you, you know, take four or five days to hike it and, you know, really enjoy the experience? And my, my number one response to that is because this is how we enjoy experiences. Um, you know, we wanted to challenge ourselves and this is the kind of thing that we can do, you know, side by side together, like hurting as much as the other is. Uh, it's not like biking where Peter can go significantly faster than me and significantly harder than me. So when he's kind of casual, I'm hurting. This was a challenge that we could both feel the same during, if that makes sense. Um, and we like to, you know, we like taking on big challenges like that once or twice a year together. So this was sort of the, the start of that. Um, the second was just the more practical. We had stuff on the weekend. We had a baby shower and a bridal shower, neither for me, just making that clear, uh, that we had to get back for. So, you know, we have pretty booked up schedules. We really only had a couple days to spare. Um, and then the, uh, the third reason is, you know, kind of the main reason, um, Peter had originally, with Eric Batty, set the fastest known time on the Cloche Trail running it. Um, you guys ran it in, what, 14? In 12. 12. 12 and a bit. 12.30, I think, was what we said, maybe. Yeah, so you'd done that already. Then Eric went back and set it in 9.25 a couple years later, and it still hasn't been beaten. Uh, the women's record is at 14 hours right now. Um, which, you know, let me start kind of thinking about that. So... We wanted to speed hike it just so I could get a sense of whether or not I could potentially set a fastest known time on it or even make a, a solid attempt at it. Yeah, so it was essentially like a, a pre-walk. So you, you wouldn't pre-run it at the, the same pace. So this was sort of with all safety measures in place, sort of seeing what the trail was and, you know, getting a bearing on it and... Yeah, and I don't think doing it in four or five days would have given me the sort of same intel on it. I think it kind of had to be done pretty quickly, so I'd know sort of how it would feel at the end. And we, you know, the thought being with 40 plus pound packs on our backs, um, that sort of gives you a sense of how tired you'd be running it straight versus walking with heavy packs. Right. Uh, and I mean, we would only, I'd only need to cut my time by a third pretty much. Uh, to get to the women's record. So seeing, you know, how possible that was, was pretty interesting. So that was sort of our logic for why doing the speed hike. So we'll start with that. Uh, I also admit I don't really have the patience for straight hiking uh, in a lot of ways. So I kind of needed to do something that was a little bit more of like a challenge versus just a casual hike through the woods. And I also actually find it more challenging, the idea of trying to be out there for four or five days and you know, getting all your water from streams and lakes and, you know, eating only what you brought in. Uh, that just doesn't really super appeal to me yet. I'm not quite that seasoned of a backpacker, I think. So, yeah. Did you have any other reasons to add there? I mean, I think we've just been walking a lot, right? And I think it was just a chance to sort of get off the the grid and, you know, just walk a bunch. Like, just walk all day, right? And see what that was like. Um Similar, I've talked about the swimming and, and the Ironman and sort of learning to swim so that it was sort of, uh, I guess, like a keystone skill that then I could take to other things. So to me, this, you know, ability to walk over varied terrain for extended durations, you know, is a pretty good sort of human movement skill. Um, and then the backcountry camping is also sort of something that opens up a lot of videos. And I talked to Eric about that last week. Um, how a lot of the cool things he's done, you know, sort of require being out in the wilderness for extended periods, right? If you have rock climbers or if you have, you know, he did a couple things where they were snowshoeing and skiing across some of the provincial parks. Um, so just to do some of that stuff, you need to be able to camp. So I think it's a pretty cool keystone thing. And then I think the other place this sort of walk all day got into my head was one of our guests, Katie Bowman, was earlier in the podcast, but she was on talking about her book why movement matters and her she's a big believer in walking um and just moving throughout the day um and she had 
proposed that on her birthday week, I just looked it up because I thought it was on the day, which then I started thinking about it. I was like, that's a lot of walking. Um, but she set the goal of walking in her birthday week, the the number of uh, in miles. So she, when she turned 40, she'd walk 40 miles in a week. Um, so not not crazy, but a fair bit if you're doing other stuff, right? Um, and I think she usually would do like one or two that were like pretty big days, like more of a like walk all day type day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was the other thing was just sort of, is a vacation, right? From everything else and just sort of pilgrimaging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think walking for us, like gave us a chance to, you know, just kind of keep chatting all day and stuff. And I think if we'd stopped the temptation to start, you know, jotting down notes for work or that kind of stuff would have probably cropped up for one or both of us. So to some extent, it was actually pretty nice to just be kind of constantly moving forward all day, both days. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could look at it as it's unfortunate in this day and age that you need to walk into the wilderness and just never stop moving to keep your brain from doing anything. But, you know, that moving meditation, it's it's funny how if, if you're in motion, you know, and the terrain's quite technical. There's a lot of, like, borderline rock climbing up and down uh, that you have to do on this trail. So it's it's quite engaging and you get a lot of moments, a lot of hours where it's just, you know, you're just sort of walking and that's all you're really thinking about, right? I definitely zoned out a few times and, um, yeah, it was good. So that was, that was the other reason was really just to spend time walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we get into the walk itself, let's, let's talk a little bit about what we packed. I mean, this is our first time really backcountry camping again. So we definitely overpacked, I'm going to say. But not not extensively. Like, I was not super upset with how much we brought. Yeah, we didn't take a pack weight, but I don't think we were, like... Do you think we were over 25, 30? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I don't think my pack was that much heavier than when I had a 20-pound weight in it in some of our pre-walks. I think mine was. Mm. Especially with the water when we set out. Oh, maybe once you add water. Yeah, maybe. So, anyway, like, our packs were pretty full, um... We got, you know, legitimate hiking packs with frames and stuff. And I mean, I have to say that was a game changer because I've been just using an Ortley waterproof backpack that I love for groceries and stuff. But it is a pretty big strain on the shoulders because it's just not really built to take a lot of pressure off shoulders. Um, But obviously a proper hiking pack, you know, has the good thing around the hips and, you know, the little pockets at the hips. And I found that was really cool so i really liked the pack do you know what the size was on those i'm blanking on it now i'll have to find it and put it in the show notes uh we got the mech which is basically a canadian rei i'd say yep um so yeah they worked out really well no no complaints here um i think the the couple big things is we would have tried to figure out a way to avoid bringing tent poles and tried to figure out a way to just rope a tent up between trees or something because the tent poles definitely, you know, add weight, take up space. Um, I think, you know, if we were going to do this more, we'd have to get a slightly lighter, smaller sleeping bag for Peter. His is pretty old and heavy. Yeah, I mean, I think just given that, and Eric touched on this too, actually, that, you know, when you know you're in the summer and the lows are only going to be so low, like if it's not going below 10 degrees Celsius, um, then, you know, you don't need a sleeping bag for negative 10 degrees Celsius because that's going to be a thicker bag, right? Right. Yeah, so I think just having really small, we went pretty small on our tent, that said. Like, it was a, basically a one-person tent that we sort of just sort of nestled into. <laughs> we made it work. Uh, and made it work, but no pads or anything. So, I mean, we were pretty minimal on that, that said. Um, no, I think the biggest thing that we overpacked was definitely on food. Uh, and that was partially on purpose because we weren't totally positive that a two-day hike was going to happen. We were a little, you know, nervous that we'd end up camping out one extra night. Uh, So we just wanted to be prepared for that. And, you know, it didn't turn out that we needed it. But we definitely had, I said in the blog post I just wrote about this, we probably ended with like 10 pounds of food. Yeah, probably not far off. You were a little bold with the amount of canned salmon you could eat. I could eat none, as it turned out. Yeah. Yeah, I did not expect that. I thought I was going to be starving by the time we got to the camp the first night, but I think my stomach was so perplexed from, like, nine and a half hours of moving that 
it just was not interested. That and the hundreds of bug bites, uh, I think, really kind of messed with me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there was too much else. You know, we went went pretty late. We had some extra batteries and stuff you could probably reduce if you were very confident that your stuff, you know, we had redundancy with each other too. So, you know, we had more than two flashlights and backup batteries and phones with batteries and um, what else do we have? We had Garmin's that also have batteries. So, you know, we had two Garmin's. So there's a lot of things where if you were going to like, okay, I'm going to go out and just walk this as quickly as I can. Doing it again, I think we could go lighter. We both had two sets of shoes. Uh, That I would not trade. That's actually one thing I would highly recommend for speed hiking, actually. I don't know. I don't know if I would. Maybe like a super small set or something, but I think I would just get it. You went so minimal in your shoes that, like, I think just as Eric and I talked about, something like the Solomon Trail Runners are waterproof and dry pretty quickly and... I think the dry pretty quickly was the key there because, like, there was... I would have loved to put back on my shoes from the first day because I actually preferred them. Both pairs were Vivo Barefoot. Both were super minimal. But I really prefer my pair that I wore on the first day. I think it's the Stealth 2, and it's the Swim Run Collection. Love them. Uh, The problem was just that they were soaked from the first day. Uh, So I just couldn't re-wear them, and I had to wear the other pair. Um, if I hadn't had the other pair, I think my feet would have actually been way worse off. I would have, I think, run a risk of, like, actually giving myself trench foot or something. Yeah, you definitely need to change your socks. So having a bunch of socks is, is a good idea for sure. Yeah, but my shoes were sopping wet in the morning. It's mm-hmm. They did not dry at all overnight. So I will still champion two pairs of shoes. Yeah, I think the only thing I would have liked to do more was just sort of get hiking more before it, which is sort of always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to try out that equipment, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's some, that gameplay is something I preach pretty heavily for most people to prepare for different things. And it's really because you get out there and you find out this shoe doesn't jive with your foot or this pack rubs on your back really oddly. This type of power bar doesn't agree with your stomach. So, I mean, that's that's always the thing, right? Like doing some smaller expeditions beforehand. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing we wish we'd packed in terms of food was definitely we would have uh, made more meals slash we would have really enjoyed to pre-make some of the rice bars, Feed Zone Portables style. Yeah, if you haven't looked at the Feed Zone cookbook or there's the, what's the new one called? I really like that book. Feed Zone too. Table? The Table, yeah, because it talks about just like the, the social elements how of you, eating. How you eat your food and the importance of that, um, which I think is good. But that's inside the Feed Zone Portables book has sort of these rice cake recipes, which you can look up um, on, really nice, on like, YouTube and how to make them. And you yeah. wrap them in a very specific way, which is cool to learn. Um, yeah, really nice, like specific sweet and savory options. So I think we probably should have done that for day one. Uh, even if you couldn't, you know, even if they wouldn't keep for day two, it would have been probably ideal for the first day to eat more real food versus bars. Yeah, and I'm not sure if in the tinfoil, if you had frozen them, maybe you would have gotten through sure. okay to the second day. But, I mean, if you could eat those for day one and then maybe you switch to your bars and stuff on the, like, more prepackaged bars on the second day. Yeah. Uh, pro tip, though, gluten-free bread, not going to be the best thing to hike with. That stuff does not hold its form very well. Yeah, and I think it's just expecting on something like that that you're going to have time to sit down. Like, if we didn't have to bring, you know, knives and loaves of bread and stuff, like, that was just a little excessive for sure. Could have made a few sandwiches at home. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a bread sandwich person, probably if you just made 12 peanut butter and jam sandwiches and stacked them back into the bread thing, you'd probably be really, really happy with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did not do that. So it just, it's tough, especially with the bugs for it to to make anything like that. So I think having pre-made for sure is good, you know, so that you don't have to think about a lot of stuff and spend a lot of time doing it. You know, you could pull it out really quick and be eating it while walking or eating it quickly in the tent and then going to sleep. Because the reality is you're, that's really all the time you have for it, right? And really all the energy. So what else? What else? Well, um, let's see, t- talk about how these couple days played out. So the first day we didn't get started till 10 a.m. I'm still actually pretty bitter. We got to the um, Clarny main office and went to get registered and stuff. And we'd read that if you said you were doing it in under four days, you'd get stamped with a high risk on your, uh, on your permit. 
And I know that's not really a great thing to have because it means if you need to get airlifted or rescued, you're the one paying for it um, versus the park being on the hook for it. But I really wanted that high risk sticker. I was really excited about it, but they did not even warn us that two days seemed kind of crazy. They just sort of, you know, said have fun and let us head out. So that was a little surprising. Um, but yeah, we parked, we got started around 10 a.m., which was probably a little later in retrospect than we would have preferred, but we had debated whether we should car camp at the park the night before versus driving the three and a half hours to it in the morning. We opted for staying home to get a good night of sleep in our own house, um, which in, in retrospect, I don't think I would do. Yeah, I mean, because it's like you're walking, right? So there's not really a lot of time to be made or or even lost, really, right? Like, as long as you keep moving, it's just sort of like you can math out how fast you could possibly walk. Um, I don't know what we end... What would it end up averaging? Like, three and a bit? Uh, between three and a half and four, yeah. Kilometers. So, right. Hour. So, I mean, when you know that, right, like, you can only... Like, I guess you, you could start Olympic, like speed walking um race race walking on that trail yeah and i mean in places you maybe could hustle a little more but i mean you have this massive pack on your hips so i don't know how you're going to do this olympic race walk your hips can't move i feel like you just made it sound like i suggested the race walking all of a sudden um no i guess i did but uh yeah so i think you you know you know that so you really want if you're going to take two days then you should probably give yourself two complete days right because we ended up I had picked a camp spot that I thought was at about halfway. Apparently, it was, was not well past halfway. Well past, uh, and we didn't even really make it to halfway. No, and we actually kind of screwed ourselves up even more because we downloaded a GPX file from Strava of someone doing the trail, but we didn't realize till the end that he had parked at a different starting spot. So when we turned our GPS on partway through just to sort of see where we were on the trail, uh, we thought we were a lot farther along. I mean, five or six kilometers farther along than we actually were. Uh, So that definitely, you know, screwed with us the first day. So it turned out we actually only walked around like 32, 33 kilometers the first day. Uh, For an 80K trail, that leaves, you know, an awful lot for day two. Uh, So the first day we walked for about nine and a half hours at around hour nine, we decided that, you know, we didn't know that we were going to make it to the campsite we'd planned and we were just going to start looking for, you know, a campsite that was unoccupied and that was just sort of convenient for us, which we ended up finding. Yeah, luckily it wasn't because I think later in the season that would be a much harder proposition yeah so pro tip um really look at the map and figure that out beforehand if you're gonna do this trail or really any other trail because you are supposed to reserve the campsite we just lucked out that we were there in the early season and no one was in the spot Uh, i have read a couple uh, things about hikers letting other people stay at their campsite as well because of situations like that yeah, and I mean, if you went down the hill, right, especially because we were so late, I don't think anyone would have been too concerned about it. But you also don't want to impose on people when they're out there and trying to, you know, have their own sort of vacation and silence, really, right? A lot of people are out there trying to not really talk to other people. So. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so anyhow, we got through that and then woke up early and resumed around 6.30 on day two. Yep, and I mean, this was one of those situations where, looking back, we're actually pretty happy that the bugs were so bad because it kicked us out of the campsite really quick. There was no real ability to stop for a lengthy, leisurely breakfast. We kind of had to get up and get moving because we were getting eaten alive. Yeah, and you phrased it at, at the time. I don't know if I re- I guess I thought about it then, too, but uh, that the bugs were... The, the upside was that they sort of motivated us to keep moving you know, at the campsite, but also on the trail, like we didn't really stop a ton because they just would start accumulating and just sort of making you miserable very quickly. So, you know, we kept moving and in hindsight, because that second day was, we walked from 6.30 in the morning till 8 p.m. And like, I think we sat down maybe once or twice. Yeah, I I said, as I wrote it out, I said, we walked for 22 and a half hours, like move time and maybe out of that, 
in total over the two days, an hour of that was stops to, you know, refill water at a lake, you know, sit down for a quick snack, you know, any of that kind of stuff, take a pee break, whatever. Um, we barely stopped. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, the bugs were actually kind of a, a good uh, propelling thing. So, I mean, flip side, I spent a lot of energy uh, trying to like wipe bugs off myself on the first day. Uh, they got less, there were less of them on day two. I don't know if that was just where we were on the trail or... Yeah, the first half when you're doing it clockwise, like it starts quite, it starts lower. So you're very boggy and you're actually spending a lot of time navigating through bogs like mud yeah mud puddles essentially so we'd literally be climbing a hill and i'd be sweeping all like all down my legs trying to just wipe mosquitoes off like with my arms and just kind of flailing as we walked Uh, so i think i expended a lot of extra energy doing that yeah it's hard to say um but it's yeah it's definitely a lot of extra movement and energy and it does stress you out a little bit sometimes too i had a couple of really claustrophobic moments when they were just buzzing and you just could not get them off of you Mm -hmm. Uh, at one point peter had like 20 caterpillars crawling up his pants that was a little gross yeah so anyhow we got through Um, (laughs) all that said it was actually quite lovely it's a beautiful park the views are amazing and yeah, and I would say it only got, like, there was definitely pain. Like, my feet were a little grumpy, and my hypermobile big toes oh, did Lord. not like did not like it. Both of our hip flexors, I'd yeah, say, my right, started I, to get a little... The last, the last stretch is this, like, 5K. There's, like, a one parking spot that pops out to the highway, or it's, one parking lot, I should say. It's either the saddest or the best sign in the world, because you have, like, one kilometer to the highway, or 6K to the campsite yeah so we had to get to the campsite and for that whole section it was just pretty painful and i was actually using my arm and like grabbing my shorts to lift my right leg up (laughs) anytime we had to do any sort of elevation like any sort of climbing on flat i was fine i could just sort of walk relatively normal uh but yeah that that was sort of when it got a little little dirty towards the end yeah I think the other thing is that for runners who are considering hiking, this gets really tough because you see six kilometers and as a runner, you're like, oh, please, that's like a short, easy run. No problem. Uh, When you're hiking, six kilometers of really intense trail is still, you know, a solid hour and a half. Yeah, and I mean, I remember that section. We, I don't, I doubt we broke any records on our six k, but I remember us like accelerating into that because it's nice. Like, there's not any rocks. Like, you're not really picking your foot or your like your foot placement too much. Whereas the rest of the trail, you're trying not to roll your ankle or step in a hole or fall off a cliff. You sort of get down from what they call the crack, and then there's a nice. I don't know what it would be. It might even be the last ten k is actually pretty high speed, with the exception of a couple little sections. Yeah. Um, so it's nice that it finishes like that. Except for that last kilometer where suddenly there's a dam, a pretty big one. That's true. And yeah. then, then the final, it's like, oh, 600 meters to the finish is the only other sign on the entire trail. And somehow the 600 meters is like, and by the way, it's up a mountain, but like it's only 600 meters. Well, that's the way it goes for sure. <laughs> it was surprising how little I remembered. And, mm-hmm. it, and it was 2011, I think, that we did that. So, I so mean, it's, it's been seven years, and we did run it, and, you know, we went quite deep on it. Um, a bunch of it was in the dark. We started at, like, 4 a.m. because we weren't sure how quickly we could do it, and it was uh, around in October, around Canadian Thanksgiving. So we, we were limited on daylight as well. So I think that, you know, the first two or three hours at least, I probably didn't remember much because I probably didn't see only much. saw what like a small headlight was, you know, or the back of Eric's shoes or something was really what I was watching for the first three hours, probably. Sure. Um, so it was neat to see it. And, you know, again, it was slower. We were going slower, so I saw a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I think it was good. So that was sort of the two days. Uh, is there anything else? that you're thinking here yeah i think i mean we just kind of talked about what we did right was we didn't really stop that much like if you are speed hiking i think 
you know, you've kind of accepted that you're not going to be kind of leisurely stopping during the day, even if it's sort of tempting. Yeah, I mean, and a few people asked, when I was talking to Mark, he was like, oh, that's, you know, not going to be super enjoyable, which he was right. Um, <laughs> from the sense that, you know, you're not going out there to, like, sit and, you know, ponder life and... Which you, know, you couldn't have with the bugs, again. <laughs> uh, I don't, I'm sure people have solutions for that in bug houses and whatever they bring, I don't know. Um, again, it wasn't that busy in the park, so I think we were just there at a long, the wrong time. Um, but it, to me, it was just going to be, you know, like a long endurance event, right? Like at a certain point when you're doing long running races, there's a lot of people who walk a lot of those running races, right? Mm-hmm. Even, even at the marathon or Ironman type distance, there's a lot of people that walk or you could call it speed hiking as you've now coined this term speed hiking. Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, yeah. So it was, it was an endurance event just done at very slow speeds. Yes. Um, the other thing I think I did write I'm very happy about was um, we debated bringing a bunch of noon tablets um, just because they do take up a bit of space. So these are like effervescent effervescent, effervescent uh, tablets. Yeah, they're just electrolytes. Um, and you were concerned about the taste of the, because we basically were using a physical filter, which worked fairly well. Uh, it was a little like cone sort of filter that's made out of silicone or plastic. Um, that you poured sort of the lake water into, and then it would then go through that and take out any bugs or whatever you had. Bugs, dirt, that kind of stuff. Like sort of things you can see, which aren't really that dangerous. It's the things you can't see. It's the things that you can't see that you're usually more concerned about, right, as far as bacteria and stuff. So for that, we had the iodine tablets and stuff. Right, and that's what was, do you remember the name of the? I'm not sure, I'll have to put it in the show notes. So, we, yeah, we had that combination of a physical filter and then tablets. Um, and I was just a little nervous that the water just wasn't going to taste very good. So I sort of insisted on bringing noon tablets along. And I'm so glad we did because I tasted the water a couple times. And with the iodine tablets in, it was really chlorine So I definitely was glad to have a little bit of flavor to it. And I was just happy to have the electrolytes, I think. Yeah, I think. it wasn't too bad. They're called aqua tabs. Um, but yeah, it has, it's almost like, it's not as bad as drinking pool water, but it's, it's like a chlorine type taste is sort of what it is. Yeah. So having the electrolytes and a couple of different flavors just sort of avoided that, like, ugh, drinking is terrible kind of feeling. I was reading on the package and I had never thought about it, but you could bring it if you were really, really stressed about traveling and stuff, right? And if you thought maybe there was a chance you'd end up having to drink water, that was maybe contaminated, then this might help you avoid getting a bacteria. I'd sure. never seen it. Makes perfect sense, but for travel, right? If you, you know, in a best case situation, you wouldn't have to drink, you know, non bottled water or whatever, maybe, but. Not a bad thing to have in your travel kit for a frequent traveler, for sure. Yeah, and even just for like toothbrushing and stuff, it says on the package. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of interesting. I like that. Um, and then a couple things that we learned, I'd say, I think what was the most interesting about this for me was realizing you can't both be in a bad mood when you're hiking because it's going to make it really miserable. So the couple times that I was starting to feel a little bit down, uh, conveniently, Peter like rolled his ankle at one point and immediately my mood shifted from like being sorry for myself and feeling like, oh, my hip flexor hurts or like, oh, I'm not feeling great. And went into kind of immediate, like, okay, I'm going to be in a better mood and I'm going to, like, you know, try to make this situation better. And I think Peter did the same for me. The couple times I did sort of a banana peel style uh, slip and fall on some of the wet rocks on day two. Had a pretty good one at our campsite. Yeah, that one was pretty funny. Thanks. But I was concerned that I was going to have to carry you over 40 kilometers back to safety, so it wasn't that funny. If you want to talk about funny, just just wait for the time Peter set his pack down by the river, and it started rolling down the hill. And yeah, that one was a, almost like out of a movie. Like, comical dive for it. That Luckily, he comical. got it. It that was, was, a it was athletic, hilarious. athletic dive. Consummate athlete-level dive. Uh, yeah, so that that was that. And then the bug nets. Is that what we're on? We're on what we did, right? Yeah, it's talking about what we did, right? What we learned. Bug nets were another big one. Bug nets. <laughs> you said nuts. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're still maybe like a little bit delirious from this. I don't know. Uh, we I, had... mean, I mean, maybe you were going that the like trail mix mm. was also very handy. It was, uh, it, yeah. tro- it seemed like towards the end of the day, we usually had the trail mix, which was good. We had some of the, 
the trail mix that had some Smarties in there for sure, some chocolate in there. Yeah, this was like the, yeah, really kind of bad for you on a regular day trail mix. Yeah, but it was tasty. Um, but that definitely helped, and we didn't have quite enough bars, or maybe we had enough, but, you know, we... Not really, we ran out of beer. Well, enough that, like, at some point you're just over eating bars, right? So sometimes that sort of... I think trail mix is called trail mix for a reason. Yeah. We also brought Snickers and that was awesome. I'm not going to lie. Peter didn't go for it, but I did. I brought a couple of small cans of Coke and they really did save my day on day two. I swore off Coke actually a long time ago. Never go back. Okay. Well, I was glad I brought two. Uh, Yeah. I really felt like that was, it was kind of just what I needed at a certain point in the hike. And I swear it perked me up, like, perfectly. I now understand why people would drink it mid-race. I've never been really a fan of that. Or, like, last lap. I think you know a couple people that would do the, like, Coke yeah, on a last lap thing. it's not as common anymore. I don't know why people have gone away from it. I mean, the road world, it's more common still. But I haven't... I'm sure people still do flat Coke in their water bottles. But, yeah, I haven't heard it. I remember... A couple guys I used grew up racing with used to do it, but yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe people still do it and I'm just out of touch. Well, I like it. Um, and then I think the the last thing we sort of learned about this was just like the best part of most endurance events is definitely the finish. And it's just a feeling that you can't get if you don't do events that kind of push you to your limit endurance-wise. Because when I could sit down in the van at the end of day two, or even just when we first got to the campsite on day one and we both like sat down in the tent, it was the best feeling in the universe. Yeah. I think if you sit on a couch all the time, it's not really anything, right? But like when, I think for me, it wasn't even the, the car was fine. Like we were back and we were safe. And so that was a relief, Um, you know, and then we went and showered and that was cool. Um, but then I think it was, we finally got back and we, I ended up, you know, I sort of pulled out my phone eventually. This was on Saturday afternoon, I guess. Um, and so I had a bunch of emails and stuff to go through. Everyone was racing at different bike races and stuff that I wanted to sort of check in and see how athletes had done. Um, so I sort of laid down on a bed and just sort of was going through emails and checking some results. And I was just like, Oh, this is a comfortable bed <laughs> because we had slept in a tent even on Friday night, even though we were back in the campground, you know, and by our van, we slept in a tent like on the ground. So it still wasn't, you know, super comfy, super plush. So yeah, it's definitely worth depriving yourself sometimes, you know, so that you appreciate that, yeah. you know, the comforts, you know, whatever that is, you know, you're going off coffee for a couple of days and then, you know, enjoying that cup of coffee or, or whatever. Yeah. It's a little cheesy, but I definitely think... It's it's true, and I think the longer the endurance event, the more you really feel that. Because I've, I've and I would say like sometimes we prize the duration over more. Like I get a similar feeling. Like if I finish like a, a really hard interval set, um, or something like it's really just something where you want to stop. Like you have to get that feeling where if someone was like, "Hey, here's five hundred dollars if you stop," like you know, or, or something, I don't know what the best analogy for that is, but something where your brain is saying stop and you keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, so something like a really hard VO2 styled interval set where, you know, I do an extra rep or I do it, you know, really well, I push my watts hi- higher or you do like a, a, the classic 20 minute test and you're just, that last 10 minutes is just miserable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but you have to keep your hand in the fire. Um, that I, I would get a similar feeling of, you know, just satisfaction. Um, yeah. But there's that when you stop, there's still that moment of relief where you, you back off, right? Yeah, for sure. Maybe I just don't really go hard enough that often anymore. It could be. I mean, you guys probably had moments at that stage race you just did too that were like that, no, I would think. Yeah, I think it's, I'll say it's a little different because we had to do cool downs. So, and the stages just weren't that long. So even the hard efforts, you know, to the finish were then followed by a cool down. So by the time I got back to like the sitting down, I didn't get quite that same but like did, intensive it, set of But relief. in the cool down, did you not feel? Not no. like that. See, I find that like usually we'll go for like a cool down spin, like a bunch of the friends and stuff I've developed over the years in, in mountain biking. And, you know, we'll go for a cruise and sometimes we'll go for a, a longer cruises, you know, a couple hours even after the race. And it's just, it's like effortless because no. you've backed up. And I mentioned that to you when we were, when you get finished this trail we did, you have to walk, I mean, unless you're going to shuttle yourself or one person goes and gets the car or something because the campsite's probably, you know, a, couple, a mile or two wide. Oh, by the way, I read 
another thing today about Lacluche, and they were like, oh, when you get done with the trail, if you've parked on the other side, you should probably just drop your packs and walk and get your car and come back for the packs. And I was just so angry that we didn't think of that. No, I proposed that to you. No, you proposed, like, one of us stays with the packs. Oh, no. There's definitely the, like, leave the packs and come back. That's pretty common. They're... I was so mad yeah. when I realized that that was an option. I just thought it would be pointless for both of us to do it unless it was, like, an ego. Like, you're not, if I'm doing it, you're doing it. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to, like, I'm not completely annihilated. I'm not going to have to drive all the way back and get my pack. That seems more pain, like, more work than it was worth. Ugh, I did not realize. So anyhow, I, I was relating to you that when Eric and I ran it, I don't remember that walk through. We did the exact same walk. You know, it was probably, it was close to at least a mile, but like maybe a bit more than a mile. So, you know, a couple kilometers, um, bit of an uphill, but like I noticed none of that. And it was because we were just so happy to be done, but we had went from running to walking right. and the walking was in that case then felt like a relief right you had backed away from the fire so anyhow fair enough i don't know what the whether just something to consider about when you're pushing yourself i guess yeah that's true i really got through that last day thinking about the sitting down the yeah end. uh there so... were points where you were stopping and like sitting down for a second and I wouldn't sit. I would take my pack off, but I was afraid if I sat down, I just wasn't going to get back up. Yeah, I had to take a... I pulled out the paper map because I was just like, I need to know exactly what <laughs> what the situation is right now before I can continue. I'm like, I can finish pretty much whatever, but I need to know the situation that we're in. And there's no mile markers with the exception of the 6K and 600 meters that Molly mentioned, which is sort of odd. Really odd. But it, it's fine if that's, you know, keeps the signage easy. Um, so it's very hard to tell, you know, unless you're watching a Garmin, which we were, you know, we just turned it on periodically here and there. Um, you know, it's very hard to know where you are. So I, I sort of pulled at the map and we had seen this one lady who was just like, she was sort of an odd lady and sort of just like basically chastised us for walking fast. Um, yeah, it was a very weird moment. Pointed she out that we had packs, so there was no way for us to hike quickly. Um, and then also said that all the maps were wrong and the trail was actually 100 kilometers long, not 78. Uh, so then at that point I turned away and just walked away from her. Um, yeah, it was, so very it, was, it was quite odd. So then at that point we were trying to get to this crack where it sort of is the end of the technical stuff. And then, like I say, it's about 10 K maybe from there. Um, so I needed to know exactly where that point was. So we got down, I sat down for a bit and Molly sort of walked around and paced while I looked at that and paper map was definitely something to bring. Like I think yeah. in this age of technology, it's, it's, and I actually saw, I retweeted it. Rebecca Roosh just did the new longer version of the dirty Kansas 315 315 miles? I don't know if it was... Whatever. Over 300 miles of uh, Kansas gravel. Yeah. Um, and she was out. Our, our weekend sounds crazy, but she rode her bike continuously for 27 and a bit hours. I know. We should have picked another weekend because there were so many epic gravel events this weekend. It's that, true. Like, our well, stuff just like kind of pales in comparison. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend, which is great. Um, but yeah, so she did that and she had a picture of her Garmin. Um, and then also all these paper maps she had highlighted and like marked stuff on. And it was several sheets of paper that she had with her because that's fairly reliable, right? Like unless you fall in a giant pool of water and it gets wet, I guess. But that that paper map's quite handy. Yeah. yeah. And it is nice. I do enjoy, especially like that where you can try and triangulate. And, and I looked at it and I found where we were and I was like, we are really close. And I think we were like almost at this crack. And then, you know, yeah. from there and on, we were moods picked up and everything else. Mm -hmm. So, And the Clar yeah, the map we have of Clarny, and we'll have to maybe put a link to, the, to it in the show notes if anyone wants to. It's waterproof and it has a bunch of like tips about each campsite and chunks of the trail and stuff on it like oh this campsite is a steep drop to get to the lake or stuff like that uh, so that was really helpful yeah yeah i always try and encourage you know, anyone who's doing any of these big races like leadville or kanza or stuff like that to really study it like you're gonna get tested on it right mm -hmm. so get those paper maps print them out whatever you know the kanza sends out this big route map and athlete guide and i think leadville does something similar most stage races have a really nice like race bible mm -hmm. um 
and in road it's very common to study that you know the night between stages oh yeah we did Um, that at killington we were you know every night we'd have the tech guide open and you know we're looking through it and marking it up and stuff so i mean the more you know that the more again it's such a mental trick but it also could also save your race if you know you know i can go on about stories of us getting lost in the wilderness and stage races and someone remembering that the course went you know south at this point and then we went off that and it saved us we all got back or whatever but knowing the course is definitely a big part it's an advantage right because you know what you're up against you'll see people with little you know kilometer marks or you know altitude charts of the the race Mm -hmm. so So speaking of knowing what you're up against uh you know like we said in the beginning a lot of this you know a lot of the reason for doing this is sort of leading into the fkt attempt for me and you know i think one of the things we sort of learned from doing that was uh, i need to start doing a lot more step ups and a lot more technical downhill running uh just because there were so many rocky sections that really you wouldn't be running up them so much as like basically speed walking up them but you'd have to be able to pick your leg up quick and basically do a step up like to about a normal box jump height i'd say yeah, there's a lot of, I would say even crawling time, but there's high speed, like basically agility ladder style descending if you're good at it. Yeah. Um, and if it, even if you're not setting any world record speed wise, like if you can save, you know, jamming your ankle or shinning yourself or anything like that. Even right? just it's the energy. Important. But there's a lot of like almost crab walk and a lot of crawling, like crab walk when you're sort of getting down, squatting down, putting your hands behind you so that you can sit down on a ledge and then scoot yourself off the end of the ledge to the next one. I'm so excited to be able to do that without a pack on. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of really, I like it because it's like, it's not just running, right? It's a, no. There's a lot of human movement going on there, you know, climbing, crawling. I was going to say even upper body, like you were saying with getting down stuff, if you can kind of use your arms to sort of like press yourself down almost. Well, and the second you can put all your hands, if you can be really efficient and comfortable crawling like that, then, I mean, you get so low, your risk is very low, and you just sort of crawl your way up or down whatever you're on. Mm-hmm. But that requires a lot of stability work, right? If you're in the gym next time, try and do crab walk across the floor and see how your wrists and, you know, your hips and everything else like that, and then flip around and crawl, you know, on all fours, what they call like a bear crawl. Yeah. Um, and it just ruins people. I use it on people in the gym all the time and it's it's a great great activity but that's definitely that and you're right step ups are another big one that i think you could definitely if you couldn't get always out onto the trail um and there's a i think it's mountain athlete oh i should know this but there's a a group of guys that have trained people for a lot of mountain adventures um skiers and everything else right Mm -hmm. And, and they use a lot of a lot of step ups for sure, like a crazy high rep, sometimes like in ski boots and loaded with packs and Oof. everything else. Um, yeah, so I think that's definitely worth it. And then I think, you know, just a last note, one of the other things I have coming up this summer is I'm doing the Under Armour Mountain Run series, the Killington race, and that's 50 kilometers on Ski Hill. Uh, so, you know, this was actually a really good prep for that because the second day of this hike, we pretty much did, a, I think it was right around 50K of walking. Um, and it just sort of showed me what that looks like on a trail and sort of almost like worst case scenario what it looks like. So now I'm already just feeling a little more confident that I can handle that distance because I've never, I don't, I don't think I've ever done 50K in a, like a single day running or walking yeah and i think that was a lot of this right just you know the know the enemy right so yeah you, you know what you're up against you know the worst case um so it takes a lot of the fear out of it um but also i think from a preparation standpoint right um it was a really good start to my prep for that i mean like what you just what are the possible things that could go wrong right like now you have a greater respect for the the fueling requirements and the water you know and the risk to breaking ankles and you know breaking arms and falling and um, getting lost is a concern in the wilderness, right? And so, and and now we have this basic understanding, very still basic understanding of camping in the wilderness. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to run with something like an emergency blanket or, you know, a light tarp type thing. You're going to, you know, you're still going to carry something thinking that you may have to spend a night out in the wilderness. Again, if, if you know, an ankle breaks or something like that, right? So you do need to be prepared. Um, so now you have a better understanding of what that sort of is and what that looks like. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me, when you did the run with Eric, did you ever have any, like, epic 
like just eating it completely on the trail situations. I don't know. We never talk about that. Um, I, I don't remember. I'm sure I ate it. We ran with poles. So if you've ever run with poles, you usually eat it, especially over 80K. I think you probably eat, trip yourself at least once. Yeah. But I rolled my ankle. I think my ankles are just not good. But I also, those Solomon shoes, for some reason, I just, something between they the, the like shoes. They ankles. They work great. You can dip them right in a puddle and they're not wet. Uh, and they grip fairly well, although we were having trouble. That was interesting, too. I think we're going to have to do a lot of research if anyone has ideas for really grippy on wet rock shoes. Yeah. Um, that, that's probably something we need to look into. But, yeah, I think we'll do a lot of running here. There's a series at Hardwood Hills that maybe we'll check out. And then also we have the Bruce Trail here in Ontario, so we'll definitely do some simulation. We have Run Club on Wednesdays, so. First rule of Run Club. Oh, yeah, we don't talk about Run Club. Never mind. We have it's on nothing Tuesdays. on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, now that secrets are all just out all over the place, I think we'll end on that note. Um, yeah, if you guys have any thoughts, feelings, questions about uh, my newly coined speed hiking or camping or, you know, anyone wants to try this out or anyone, you know, is now inspired to try out La Cloche, uh, let us know how it goes. And definitely let us know if there's someone who's good at camping or backcountry stuff that we should have on the show. It's definitely a topic we want to continue exploring. And then if there's anyone you think just generally would be great on the Consummate Athlete podcast, maybe a sport we haven't explored or someone who's just really good consummate athlete, that would be great. And also we're getting into, you know, as we've been doing, having uh, past guests back on. So if there's anyone, you know, you'd like to hear come on again and maybe talk about a specific topic, one of those shorter segments we've done, or just, you know, see what they're up to, you know, since it's been a year or two since we've had them on, that'd be awesome just to hear sort of your requests. You can do that at consummateathlete.com. There's a form there. Uh, you can also just reach out to Molly on Twitter. At Molly J. Herford. Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in and we'll talk to you later. Hey guys, before you go, we just wanted to have one quick word from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps the consummate athlete, like you, save money on your life insurance. To find out more, you can check out healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D, that's C-A-P-O-D, for all the details and to take a free quiz. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. To check out all of the show notes for this show, go to consummateathlete.com. And to follow along with our various adventures on the social medias, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash consummateathlete or follow me, Molly Herford, at Molly J. Herford on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could do us a huge favor and rate and review the podcast over on iTunes, that helps us bring on more guests, you know, get more episodes out and do more cool stuff. So we would be forever grateful. And if you're looking for coaching for endurance sport or just for health and wellness, uh, you can check out smartathlete.ca. And for amazing outdoor content, you can check out theoutdooredit.com. Aw, honey. And that's theoutdooredit.com for Molly Herford's writing and all things outdoors. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time.